Greetings, wayward souls. Welcome to the Dark Wisdom Podcast, where fear is instilled one story at a time. So, if you are feeling courageous, step inside and plead no blood on the floor. Welcome, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It seems the call of the dark was not enough to keep you away. Very well. I'd like to welcome you back to the House of Shadows, where you get entertainment and, of course, dark wisdom. I'm your master of ceremonies and lore keeper thought, but you knew that already, didn't you? Do you hear that that is the sound of the night calling out to you it never fails to chill the blood if I had any I have a special treat for you ladies and gentlemen we are going on a trip to a place that is out of this world don't think you can be scared let's test that theory shall we You know, they say that on Halloween, the portal between living and dead opens, giving way to the dark abyss where the dead roam aimlessly looking for a soul to steal. One such place, one such portal in this dark world is Haven DeWitt, a place of horror and lore. You can't turn back now. Where would the fun be in that? Besides, you've already stepped through. If you want to survive this trip, do not touch that dial or adjust your set because coming to us live from the airways of the dead is Respawn Machine from the mysterious Channel 13. Let's hope it's your lucky number. Bet your life on it. Now, Sit back in your chair, relax, don't forget to tip your waitress in, enjoy. Thanks, T. This is Respawn Machine, creator and host of The Night Shift on Channel 13, which you can catch Monday through Friday at 8.30 if you live in Pontiac County. If not, you can see me at twitch.tv slash respawnmachine. Be sure to stop by. Tonight, I'm going to tell you a story from my hometown. Before I moved out to Haven DeWitt, I was a native of Syracuse, New York, the Salt City. If you're a native like me, perhaps you've heard of the 13 Curves. The 13 Curves, more commonly known as Cedar Vale Road, is just southwest of the city proper, and is only a mile in length. But what it lacks in length, it more than makes up for in reputation. You see, this stretch of Cedar Vale Road is particularly treacherous, set in thick forest, narrow and winding, 
with a steep embankment on one side. It can be dangerous to navigate in the darkness or in inclement weather, as sometimes a trick of the eye in the drop-off makes the road appear to be going straight ahead, until you get up close and realize it's yet another curve. Signs on either side of the stretch warn drivers to slow down, and it's not uncommon for local drivers to count the curves as they drive, just to be safe. But the reason this road is so well known isn't the road itself, as dangerous as it can be. No, the reason we all know of the 13 curves in Syracuse, New York, is because of the woman in white who can sometimes be seen standing by the road at the final curve, moments before you break through the thick forest to see the light of the moon again. She only seems to appear at the last second, no time to slow down, but observers have said that she wears a white dress like a bride, and there are leaves in her hair. She has a faint, ethereal glow, and her sad face is streaked with mud and tears. I saw her once as a little girl, driving home with my family after a children's choir concert, of which I was a part of. I was about ten. My father was driving, and neither he nor my mother saw her. But as my siblings dozed off in the back, I saw her in the distance among the trees through the passenger side back window. I didn't know what I had seen at the time, as I was not a big fan of ghost stories as a small, easily frightened child. So I assumed she was just somebody who lived nearby, taking a walk, in a forest, late at night. Because that makes sense. Thirteen days later, in a completely freak accident, I fell and split my knee wide open on the edge of a plastic storage bin containing sheet music in music class. It wasn't until many years later, when I heard the story of the Thirteen Curves and the woman in white, that I put it together. So let me tell you what I know. It was smack dab right in the middle of the Roaring Twenties. Elsie Hayworth and William Fulgate were in love. They were an unconventional match. Elsie's father was an attorney who had, a few years earlier, risen to great fame and wealth after successfully defending a local factory owner in a lawsuit. After he was successful, he began to be sought out by tycoons all over the Northeast, though he preferred to stay in Syracuse with his family and community. The Hayworths were, in today's parlance, loaded, but they were considered new money and were not necessarily welcome into the high-crust, old-money circles. This is where William Fulgate comes in. He was the son of a once-prominent carriage maker, Charles Fulgate, who had seen a great decline in his fortune after the advent and introduction of Henry Ford's mass-produced automobiles. They still ran with the high-society circles, but their once-great wealth was waning and they went to great lengths to disguise this from the general public. By all accounts, William was a handsome fellow, cutting a dashing figure, while Elsie, by comparison, was actually quite homely. This gave William's family all the more reason to disapprove of the girl, but he did not care. He was smitten. She may have not been a beauty queen on the outside, but on the inside, she was Artemis, Athena, and Aphrodite all rolled into one. Unlike the haughty society girls his parents would have him marry, she was genuine and strong. Instead of spending her great fortune on herself, she spent her time and money on assisting the poorest of Syracusean society with food and other aid. 
She loved animals and could seem to turn the angriest, most vicious dog into a sweet, floppy puppy who just needed some love. When relatives chided her that it was not proper for a young woman of her status to concern herself with the downtrodden or with dirty animals, Elsie told them she did not care. While William saw all the beauty this woman held, his relatives did not. She was not part of high society, and they feared that she would produce, quote-unquote, ugly grandchildren, a horror beyond horrors. Despite this, Elsie and William were engaged to be wed, and the date of their marriage was set for July 23rd. On July 10th, Elsie was over at the Fullgate house, writing out place-setting cards in calligraphy script with William's mother, aunt, and sister. A servant entered the room and informed Elsie that a call was waiting for her. Elsie trekked to the other side of the house to take the call from her mother regarding a floral arrangement for the couple's table. Upon returning to the room where she had been working, it seemed that the other women had not heard her approach, as they continued to talk, and it did not sound nice. I'm certain it's only for the money, she heard Mrs. Fulgate say. Otherwise, my William could do so much better. You think he's just looking out for the family, asked her sister, chortling. Of course, he'll marry her and get some of her fortune, then abandon her and find a proper specimen to be mother of his children. Elsie felt her head spin. She felt sick. Was this William's real intention and she had been blind to it all along? She did not return to the other women and instead sought out her husband-to-be. Upon locating him, she fell sobbing into his arms and told him of what she had heard. At this, his face grew stormy and he assured her, I love you with all of me. I will never abandon you for you are my one true love and nothing my silly family can say will ever change that. The day of the wedding finally came. Despite everything, it would be considered a joyous occasion with family and friends from both sides coming together to eat and drink and dance in celebration. It seems that William had spoken to the offending parties, as they were cordial, even friendly, to Elsie. Finally, as the day drew to a close, a great storm whipped up, coming eastward from the Great Lakes. It had been a long day, and even though they were both incredibly happy, they were equally exhausted. The rain came down in sheets, obscuring the car's dim headlights. William drove cautiously, but tired as he was, it wasn't enough. As the car made its way down Cedarvale Road, William knew that the treacherous 13 curves were just up ahead. He had driven them many times, and like many other drivers who passed this way, he would count them as he went along. Elsie sat, barely awake, in the passenger seat. William pressed into the forest, carefully staying in his lane of the narrow road, gently taking the curves, knowing that hitting them too fast would be disastrous in this weather. He counted 13 and confidently prepared to exit the forest, but in his exhaustion, he counted wrong. The car careened over the side of the road and hit a tree. 
Both William and Elsie were thrown clear through the windshield and among the brush. William mercifully landed a few feet from the car, and though he was shaken, covered in glass and bleeding a noticeable amount, he was relatively unscathed. But he couldn't see Elsie anywhere. The car's headlights only illuminated a few feet in front of it. Otherwise, it was all darkness and wet leaves, and the slope continued downwards. William scrambled to his feet in the mud and plant refuse and began to search through the underbrush, screaming her name. Elsie, he screamed desperately. Where are you? He searched frantically for what felt like forever, but he was no closer to finding her. He checked the car and found that despite the severe damage to the hood, it could still run. I'm going to find help, he bellowed into the darkness. I promise I will return as soon as I can. He hopped back into the car, wide awake now, and drove to find a phone. He first found a gas station. They were closed up due to the storm. Finally, he found a small grocer that was in the process of closing for the night, and he convinced them to let him use their phone. He called emergency services, who assured him that they were on the way. A stock boy agreed to help search, and after the grocer equipped them with flashlights, they returned to the 13 curves on Cedarvale Road. They returned to the bend where the accident had taken place, the sirens of emergency services screaming in the distance. But they didn't have to look far, because there, on the side of the road, was Elsie. Compared to William, her injuries were far more grievous, even at a distance. William leapt from the car and ran to her side. But she was gone, having succumbed to her wounds in the short window of time he had gone to find help. Her beautiful white wedding dress was smeared with blood and soil, and her hair was full of leaves. And it was obvious to all who saw the scene that she had spent her final moments dragging herself up the embankment and towards the road looking for the man who promised to never abandon her. Now they say that Elsie haunts the 13th curve, looking for William. Her dress is torn and there are leaves in her hair, but despite what William's family thought, those who get a look at her tear-stricken face claim her to be quite beautiful. If you see her on the road at night, they say you should count the days, because on the 13th day, bad luck is sure to find you. Just like it found me, a little girl growing up in Syracuse, New York. Not much is known for sure about William's fate, but they say that while Elsie haunted the road, William haunted bars and houses of ill repute, his handsome face now sickly, whittling away what little fortune was left on alcohol and cheap thrills always searching for something that he would never again be able to find. And that's the story of the 13 curves on Cedarvale Road outside of Syracuse, New York, in Onondaga County. If you ever find yourself up that way, visit the original Dinosaur Barbecue, Funkin' Waffles, Alto Cinco, and Middle Ages Brewing. Take a walk down Westcott Street, through SU's campus, and past the iconic Niagara Mohawk Building. But if you find yourself on Cedarvale Road, drive safe and count the curves. And if you do see Elsie lingering by the side of the road, count the days. Because on the 13th, you might just want to stay home. Or at the very least, away from the 13 curves. After all, I'm sure Elsie 
wouldn't mind some company. This has been Respawn Machine, host of the Night Shift on Channel 13. Have a great night. Back to you, Tha. Ah, what a glorious story, Respawn. Truly glorious. Make sure you don't find yourself on the wrong side of the road, ladies and gentlemen. It may be your last. Well, it has been a bloody pleasure entertaining you with stories of horror and cautionary tales. A hearty thank you to Respawn Machine for her glorious contributions to tonight's broadcast. Don't forget to follow Respawn Machine on Twitter at Respawn Machine. It's all one word, so you won't miss it. Also, catch her streams, since that is what you mortals are into nowadays, at twitch.tv slash machine. Make sure to follow her on her various platforms and continue your descent into horror. And maybe madness. One can hope, right? Ah, it seems the final bell has rung. Before I go... I'll leave you with these parting words, ladies and gentlemen. When the sun goes down and the moon shines bright, it's hard not to think about what's out there in the darkness. Stare at the dark too long and you will eventually see the darkness staring back at you. Now, I must go. The portal is strengthening and I am overdue for a vacation. I'm even leaving with some souvenirs. You don't need that soul, do you? Ah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> See you next year. Look at that, you survived the witching out. If you feel inspired, come back with your soul intact anytime. In the meantime, you can catch Professor Liquid on Twitter at Formless Liquid. You can find this podcast on Apple, Spotify, Buzzsprout, and many others for a frightening good time. Type in Liquid Wisdom Podcast and you may survive the night. I'll see you soon. <laughs>